there's something that happens when you get uncomfortable is that you you develop this sense of when you practice getting uncomfortable, you develop this this kind of a swell of confidence because you establish this belief that you'll be okay. Yeah. You can make it, right? You'll be okay. Welcome to the Impact Roadmap, a podcast designed to give you the practical, concrete steps to grow your nonprofit or future forward business in a sustainable way. I'm your host, Joey Goon. Let's get into the episode. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Impact Roadmap. Today, I am joined by my uh, my new friend, Andy Way. Andy, I'm so excited to have you here today. There's a lot that we have to unpack, and the work that you're doing is is work that the world needs right now. So t- like, tell us a little bit more about you know your bio and and your life story and and why we're here today. Yeah, well, we're here because we met at a National Speakers Association event, right? We did. But uh, you know, we're we're here in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a little bit of a fish out of water. I grew up on a small island in Savannah, Georgia, called Isle of Hope. There's about two thousand people on the island, and uh, you know, when people ask where I'm from, I'm typically or how, where I grew up. I'm kind of grew up like Huck Finn with a motor on the intercoastal waterway in Savannah, Georgia. So uh, yeah, and then. Uh, you know, left there in my senior year in high school, lived on a sailboat in Austin, Texas, and then uh, wanted to engage in something bigger than myself, joined the Navy and uh, served out of Japan and um, landed here back in the U.S. here in, in St. Louis. And here I am. You, um, you know, you spent three fourths of your year uh, while you were in the Navy on a naval ship. What was that life like for you? Well, I thought it was amazing. Uh, one of the things that I loved about it, I was, I was always kind of raised a patriot, you know, lover of being an American and, uh, and then in engaging in something bigger than ourselves, right? And, um, and I wanted a big experience. Um, growing up on a small island, right? And I, I, I was always curious about the world. And um, I remember having stacks and stacks of National Geographic magazines and uh, just that kind of that natural boyish sense of adventure and curiosity. So joined the service. Um, I accidentally kind of wound up graduating third in my class from avionics school, and I got to choose where I was going to go. But unfortunately, Siganella, Sicily, and Rota, Spain were taken. So I went bigger and went all the way around the world to Japan. And um, we were four deployed, eight months out of the year, and uh, I served on the flight deck of a carrier launching planes. So What were you doing there? So like launching planes for what specifically? Well, we were the only we we're the Navy's only forward deployed nine one one battle group, so that means in case of emergency, we were always at the ready. And so, if we were not actively involved in a scenario, uh, then we were actively training. And uh, so that's what we were always doing. So, is that does that mean if there's like a foreign a foreign um, like you know yeah something foreign detected on your radar, like you're sending jets out to figure like to figure out whether or not that's a threat? Well. So we're on a carrier. Um, every single plane that launches, they're called sorties. Uh, these, and every squadron has a sortie completion rate. And so and every plane that launches has a mission. Um, and that comes down from the Department of Defense. You know, there, there's uh, a code every single day. Uh, you are a battle group. Um, there's about 9,000 people in that battle group. And wow. um, so we were out to sea eight months out of the year. And uh, that means we were training usually in the East, but also in the Middle East. Spent six months in the Persian Gulf um, and then across the Indian Ocean back to Perth and and back into our normal area. But yeah, always just practicing and training. Just also want to share my gratitude for your service. Happy to. Thank you. It was an honor. You've gone from that, this Naval Jet commander, to a motivational speaker and author. How do you make that shift or that leap in your life from where you were to where you are now? You know, I, I think a lot of people like to think of life as very linear. It absolutely isn't. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how well you plan. I think everybody can relate to the idea that life doesn't always turn out like the, we, we think it will. Uh, it certainly has not for me. And, and my boyish sense of adventure was planted in me when I was 13. And for some reason, uh, my father, God love him, um, wanted to give his son uh, a boat when he turned 13. And so at 13, I was running around the intercoastal waterway um, like Huck. I say Huck Finn because it's like this sense of adventure. Uh, I had a pet porpoise for a summer and uh, had all kinds of amazing experiences. Um, And so I've had this kind of relationship with adventure for, you know, in me, I think a lot of boys, right? 
from the time I was a, a young boy. But after the Navy, I came back uh, to the U.S. And uh, it wasn't much later that I found myself a single father of a, with a one-and-a-half-year-old in a new city with no family. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, that, that starts a whole other chapter. So it, it doesn't always go the way we think it will. But, uh, um, and we can dig into how I got connected deeper with my relationship with, with adventure. But uh, that, that happened when my son started to struggle. Yeah. I, let's talk about, let's talk about your son because I know that's a big part of your journey and, and your why. Um, I believe we can live the most about life from those that were fighting for it. And, you know, your son was fighting for his life at a point in, um, you know, um, at a point where he was going through these impressionable years trying to find himself. How, how do you, how did you become, um, like, how did you kind of help him get through this, like this tragedy, this trauma that he was going through and, and get him through to the other side of that. And then I guess as a, a follow-up to that question or to build on that question, how did that then become like the essence or the flavor that, you know, yeah. that is now a part of your, your life work and your coachings and your training? Yeah, that's really kind of how that unfolded. Um, when Drew was, I think he was like 11 or 12, he's in sixth grade and he really started to struggle with anxiety and overwhelm. Um, and, and there was a lot there. Um, but it, and it's a, when you're in it, it's kind of a slow evolutionary process as this kind of, this experience unfolded. Um, and then that led to pretty severe drug and alcohol abuse. And so of course, um, you know, I I always want to be the best father I could. I love my dad. I thought he did a great job of being there for me as a young man. And I always looked up to my father. Um, of course, as I got older, the cape came off at some point. Right. (laughs) But, um, you know, I was always paying attention to parent and child relationships. I read all the books from the time he was born about parenting, modern day culture, raising boys in America today. Um, and I had no, no answers for how to help him. Um, and in the, and really in the, the, the dark night of the soul part of that story, uh, I really struggled. I poured everything I had into him and we had to get help. Of course we sought help quickly, but I mean, another level. <laughs> um, and it's a lot of people can't really relate to all we experienced, but it, it was became very challenging for me. I had remarried and uh, I was a single dad for seven years. Um, uh, and I'd done well in real estate, but then lost everything. And so, uh, with the recession, right in 2007, eight, nine. Uh, so I was, I was, uh, and those were strangely some of the happiest years, um, uh, with nothing. But when he really started to struggle, uh, it, it crushed me. And, uh, and he wound up going to a residential therapeutic boarding school. We had to get real help. And uh, that was really hard to do. Before we hit record, we talked about the difference um, in, you know, like raising teens, raising kids today, as opposed to like when you and I were kids just a short time ago. You know, we're still young and spry. Right. <laughs> um, but let's, let's talk about like, what are, you know, cause like now you know, I was talking to a friend, Laura, the other day, and she was telling me that now, you know, kids are, are being trained on like active, you know, active shooter training. What happens if someone comes into the school and there's a threat and it's like, we couldn't even conceptualize that being a thing right. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So do you think that's part of the problem is that the expectations and what we think we know as parents is, is just like, we need to kind of throw away what we think we know and just get more curious and ask questions about what our kids are really going through. I think that's a, a big piece of it for sure. And, you know, like we were talking about, I think that, yeah, it, it is such an incredibly different world today. And that's a big piece of what I talk about when I talk to a fortune 500 client, uh, or if I'm talking at a graduation or, uh, you know, a men's group, it's, uh, we have to, adjust to this rapidly changing world around us. Heck, I even talked on that topic at a geo convention in Canada. You know, they were struggling with adjusting, specifically the oil and gas industry, uh, you know, with technology. Uh, how, so how do we adjust to change? And it was one of the questions I was really starting to dig into is, can you become more flexible so that you can more easily adjust to this rapidly, rapidly changing world around us? And you can. Turns out there's such a thing as cognitive and behavioral flexibility, right? Neural dynamics, experiential learning theory. So I dug pretty deep into, you know, into the neurosciences, neurosciences. So 
as parents, and it's important for us to at least acknowledge that there is a need for us to be open to the idea that the world that our kids are growing up in is very different than the world that we grew up in. So step one is acknowledge that and be more curious and open to exactly that, that they are having a different experience than we had. Um, you've, you've gone through quite a journey mm-hmm. in, you know, in your life and, you know, both you and your son now exist to, to kind of share those stories on the other side of that journey, you know, through your life's work, through your book, through this mission that you have getting on stages and influencing and impacting hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of people. Right. So there's obviously been a personal development journey for you and for us. And for me personally, as event producers, like when I'm not producing an event, a lot of my growth has come from going to those events from the people that I want to be like learning with and from and becoming a spectator and an attendee. So like going, immersing myself in personal and professional development and finding people who are further along in their life's journey than I am and figuring out like how I can add value to them. So I'm curious. um, And there's a quote that I wrote down here. It's that when people look outside, they dream, but people who look outside inside discover, let me reiterate that when people, people who look outside dream, people who look inside discover. And so you know, when we go to these events, the things we take away just become a flavor and they become an essence of like who we are. And that just gets added into our work and our relationships. Um, has there been an exceptional personal development learning experience that's really resonated with you, an event that you've gone to? Yeah, a total breakdown. Uh, not emotionally, but just in the realization that I couldn't save my son. You know, that, you know, Joseph Campbell popularized the hero's journey, right? In his book, A Man with a Thousand Faces. And, you know, a big part of the hero's journey is um, where you're called into this adventure. You know, a mentor comes alongside you and you you reach this dark night of the soul. And that's where I was as a father. Uh, Every day I woke up and gave him everything I had. And the emotional toll was, I mean, I closed my company. And um, it was just, it was so difficult to navigate all the choices between the counselors and school and his mom and, and, and to do everything I could to try to save him that it was just so emotional, so hard because I loved him so much and to watch him suffer and I couldn't help him. I was immersed in that. And that, (laughs) that was the breeding ground for what's next. And so once he, once we found hope in a residential therapy, therapeutic boarding school, and he was starting to heal, I knew that I had to get stronger for the road ahead uh, for him, for my wife, for me. Um, and that's when one night I'm sitting on the couch, I'm watching YouTube, and it's about 2 a.m., my wife's out of town, and I come across this video, and I'm a boater, not a motorcycle rider. I've never been a motorcycle rider. And I came across this video of these guys riding motorcycles in the back country of Colorado. And it sparked something in me. It was like this group of guys with this amazing drone footage. And it was just beautiful. And I just longed for that sense of excitement and connection. And next thing you know, I'd watched all the videos. I dug deep in researching motorcycles. And a month later, I bought my first adventure motorcycle and began to ride. And it instilled in me this capacity to heal and grow stronger Um, And then I spent five years unpacking why I had that relationship to that video. Why did I have a visceral response to that one video of guys riding motorcycles in the backcountry of Colorado? And I started with Google searching the definition of adventure. Hmm. Yeah. And so that's led me to really where I am today. What is it like? How can we all be more adventurous? Because, you know, adventure, at least at least for like for the person watching this adventure doesn't mean that you have to jump on a motorcycle and, you know, and travel the country, you know, and just like totally lose yourself in the back roads. It doesn't mean that you need to put a backpack on and go tour Europe for two weeks. Now, if you can, those are all great experiences, I'm sure. And you're creating, uh, you know, these 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 moments in your life that you'll forever remember. So would encourage anyone that has the opportunity to go out and do that. But how can we all be more adventurous like right now in this moment? What are yeah, the little this, steps this, we can take? Yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse, right? I mean, this is, you know, I've committed my life. When I, when I looked around um, every day, you see a, so much 
so many people really struggling with anxiety, overwhelm, happiness, unfulfillment. Um, and I could feel it when I would leave my house. You can see it in the world. It was in the, the social and cultural narrative. Um, and so that's what I sought to figure out. I was tired of looking outside of myself because that's where I started for help. But then one of the things I found was that everything I needed was already inside of me. So, you know, Simon Sinek always talks about know your why. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, well, that's nice, Simon. That's, you know, but what if I know my why and I know my who, but I don't know how. And I think that actually more people struggle with, okay, I, I, look, I know what I love and what I'm passionate about, what I care about, but I don't know how to have that experience of life that I really desire. And so there's five powerful practices that I wrote about in my book. And it really starts with the definition. You have to get uncomfortable. You don't have to sail solo around the world. You don't have to climb Mount Everest. Every single day is the unknown. And so you have to kind of explore that unknown, get uncomfortable, explore the unknown and seek excitement. Those are the three, four and five of the five practices. Get uncomfortable, right? Take on a challenge, right? Both inside of you and outside of you. Uh, explore the unknown, both inside of and outside of you, and then seek excitement. And there's twofold to that as well. I think you and I both did uh, three of the five of those things before we came to this podcast episode. We both talked about how we took a cold shower yeah. <laughs> before we came here today. And for me... Separately. So, wait, it wasn't... <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, next time we do it together, we can serve yeah. water. But uh, <laughs> the, the cold shower was separate. Just reframing. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, things get weird here at uh, the Impact Roadmap and Utopia. Yeah, you know yeah. what is Utopia? Utopia is this, you know, this life of you know just togetherness and creating this ideal state. And we can Perfect. only do that when we shower together. Yeah, so we, we, we can try it. <laughs> it's, but it, but it really is just a shock to the physiology. Yeah. You know, changing your body chemistry, endorphins are released in your body by taking a cold shower. So something yeah. as simple as that, like that, for me is an adventurous thing that I know I can commit to every day that I know is going to change my physiology and get me out of the state of the thinking mind and into my heart right. where I can connect with more people and figure out creatively like how I can add value in this world. So is that what you're talking about? Like, you know, is it meditation? Is it affirmations? Is it the Wim Hof method in cold baths? Is it maybe a combination of all of those things? What, like what else can we do or what can we do on a daily basis yeah. to ensure that we're getting uncomfortable, taking risks and being adventurous. You know, when I'm, when I'm working with a client or speaking with a, an organization, you align that with whatever your life vision is, whatever your heart's, whatever you're really passionate about, that vision you, you really desire for your life and how you, you know, the work is to paint a picture and then, you, and then you back it in. Like what's, get really, really clear on what you really want your life to look like and then you identify the things in your life, the areas in your life that are stopping you from having that experience. And usually there's something uncomfortable. There's a barrier, right? We have these limiting beliefs. And so we align those things that you can do to get uncomfortable with that vision and then push through that barrier, right? So if you're not ready for that, you can start with a cold shower. You can start with taking a different route home or to work. Probably home is better, so you're not late, right? Try a different food. If you're an introvert, maybe ask somebody a question, a stranger, a question that you know you've never met them before, and you're an introvert. Maybe ask somebody a question and get curious and just listen. And there's a lot of different ways, and you can get really creative with how you practice getting uncomfortable. Um, you know, cold is a big one, right? I, I engaged in a. In a, a different programs, different challenges, like a Tough Mudder or a 75 Hard or, you know, where you sit down and do things that you're just not used to doing. So, but are good for you. And I think a lot of people know what that is. They know what they could, should, or be doing that's good for them. They just don't do it. Why? Like, do you, is it that people just get stuck? Like they're in this sort of like mm -hmm. this conformity of, like you said, driving the same way to work, seeing the same people, having the same conversations, going to a job that they hate to like buy things that they don't care about to try and be impressive to people that they don't, you know, uh, that try and be impressive to people that they don't necessarily care about. Right. It's like, you know, you're not connected to, to passion, to purpose. And so you just have this mundane existence or like what, well, I think what's really going on. Well, I think it's, um, it's the brain. Most people don't realize that, you know, there's a distinction between your brain's thoughts and your thoughts, and they're not one and the same. 
Mm. Right? And so your brain's, the job of the brain is to keep you safe and alive. That's what your brain's job is is to do. And so there's a whole exercise of, uh, I remember going through where, you know, a coach is a, a program I was in and he sets the stage where it's going to get really, really quiet and we're going to empty our brains. We're not going to think a single thought. It takes everybody into this experience and the music gets really calm and close your eyes. Think nothing. Empty your brain. That thought right there, just let it go. That one. Yep. Just let it go. Okay. Now we're getting there, right? Everybody, no thought at all. Gets really, really quiet. Wait a second. All right. How many people were successful in thinking no thought at all? You can't. It's impossible. Your brain is constantly sifting through thoughts, but then there's your thoughts, like what you want, your choice, and there's a difference. And so most people kind of go through life in this conditioned beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, and actions, and they get the same results. But there's a, so those are our conditioned beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, and actions, and we get the same result. If we want to have a different experience, we got to condition right? Through intentional beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, and actions to get a different result. But most people don't know that. And, you know, and they're so, and I think a lot of people are kind of wrapped up in status quo, right? We want to, we're kind of a herd mentality, right? We kind of do this comparative life where we just want what the Joneses have. And I got news for you. I think the Joneses are gone, right? Like, they're, they're not doing <laughs> not doing us any favors. So yeah, we have to condition new beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, and actions. Yeah, you bring up uh, so many good points there. I, I mean, so many good points. I think one of the one of the biggest developments that I've had in my life in going to these personal development events, and I've learned a lot. By the way, there was a, a little bit of Michael Singer there. I don't know if you know Michael Singer, the untethered soul, no. but he talks about how you should be a passenger to your thoughts, how you're not the thoughts, you're the thinker of the thoughts, or perhaps you're the consciousness behind the thinker of the thoughts. Yeah. And so, I mean, pretty philosophical, sure. a lot to unpack there, but it's like, can you just be a witness to those thoughts instead of being emotionally impacted and affected by all of the things that we think? Um, so there's like the Michael, but anyway, so I learned about Michael Singer through Hal Elrod and Hal Elrod was my life coach for two years and Hal Elrod wrote the book, The Miracle Morning. Are you familiar with his work? Um, a little bit. I know that book. I have not read it though. It's amazing. And so um, through Hal, I got invited to an event called the Front Row Foundation Summit, which is out in Cleveland. And so John Vroman runs the Front Row Foundation and it's, uh, he's got this program called Front Row Dads. Fantastic. And Love it, right? It's yeah, all about men that are business leaders second, family men first, fathers first, business owners second. I want to meet this guy. He's awesome, right? So the whole the whole approach is incredible, and um, it's all about doubling down on family and and um, and and having moments and being moment makers and and creating experiences. I yeah. learned through this personal development and through this coaching that I shifted my mindset from this scarcity mindset that there's not enough in the world mm -hmm. and I've got to go out there and get mine before somebody else does to the abundance mindset that comparison is the thief of joy. So let's not compare. Let's look at others as a way. Like now I look at competition as like, how can I create something synergistic and yeah. valuable for someone who might be competing in the same industry? How can I add value to my neighbor in such a way that like helps them have a better day. Like how can I be a light for other people? And so if we could just shift away from that scarcity mentality to the abundance, there's so much joy. There's so much love. There's so much wealth. There's so much knowledge. Like yeah. how can we give and give and give and then we receive like that yeah. has been a huge thing for me in personal development and obviously a, a huge, uh, huge influence on my life, you know, has been Hal and, um, and this network that I've been a part of, who's that been for you? Well, like, is there a, you know, I always, I always go back to my father. Right. But you know, I learned a lot from prayer. I learned a lot from, um, so, you know, I get these insights daily. I can count on them. Um, I've learned a lot through just through reading. Um, I went through David Bear's uh, legendary program 
learned a lot there. He's done a great job of organizing a lot of wisdom in the world and do a, and a, and do a, a, a kind of a package where you can digest it and consume it and organize it and understand it. But I completely agree with um, living from the inside out, moment makers, um, certainly no scarcity in the world. <laughs> There's just so much wealth so of much. knowledge and just money. Yeah. So now it's, you know, that's something that you were talking about that I identify with is absolutely living from a place of contribution and celebration, right? So, I mean, I, I don't get jealous at all. Uh, and, he, you know, I used to kind of see somebody that would have, if I look at just here in St. Louis, Andy Frisella, right? I mean, that guy's made... Billions. Yeah. Hundreds of millions. Billions. And he, yeah. And he's done a great job being proud of being from St. Louis and built these successful companies and cars and what have you. Um, but he's, he's really had a heart for, you know, giving and contributing and, you know, how do I impact the world around me? And then it shows up and it, and it's really leading with, I came up with a saying, um, you know, a couple of years ago, leading with your being. And so I think about who, who am I being first? Everything else follows that. If you're being fearful, scarcity mindset, anxious, right? There's, there's two states of being, primal and powerful. And so, uh, and you can move and all limiting beliefs stem from that primal state of being. Primal, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, anger, resentment, right? All, all of that stuff's primal state of being and a powerful state of being, creativity, love, kindness, acceptance, all of that's powerful state of being. The more time you spend in a primal state, that's not going to get you to where you want to go. The results you really want are never going to stem from a primal state of being. So right? it's moving up the, uh, the hierarchy of needs, Abraham Maslow's right. triangle, of, like trying to get to self-actualization. That's right. Exactly. And so you, the more time, so a lot of the work that I do for myself, my self-work is how much time am I spending in a primal state versus a powerful state? One of those get uncomfortables was I used to get really frustrated with traffic really frustrated. The story I made up about being in traffic was I must be stupid. Mm. Right. And I would get in traffic and say that to myself over all the time. Cause I had, I worked from home. Traffic is miserable. Why on earth, if I am a smart, capable human who has control over my time and location, allow myself to be in traffic. If I know that between this hour and this hour, it's, there's probably going to be traffic. Why would I allow myself to do it? I must be stupid. That was my logic. And I'd say that to myself over and over. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. And then now I'm like, wait a minute. So I look at everything, all contrast, I now use as a tool for my own growth. Traffic, patience, right? So what, are the, what is the contrast in your life and how, do you, how can you use it for your own betterment? Could you also look at traffic and do a simple reframe there and you're like, wow, there are other human beings that have places to go. <laughs> like sure they they have meaning they have purpose like they're getting out and like you know i'm not alone on this planet and there's other people sure around me that are loved and cared for and appreciated and like they're going to see family members and friends and colleagues and, i love it you know so just that simple re reframe for me because i've done something similar where i'm I, you just get so frustrated in that oh, moment yeah. especially when that guy cuts you off Ugh. it's like but what's that guy going through who's exactly. he going to see well, and so going back a little bit, like that cognitive behavioral flexibility, how quickly can you adjust to that change or that contrast? Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's not what I think. I know that that is the outcome of the work that I teach, right? The living adventurously mindset and methodology and these five powerful practices is that you can train yourself. And this is anchored in neuroscience, right? You can train your brain to become more flexible faster. And so that when you have a contrasting experience, you don't wallow in it and you don't necessarily react, you respond. And you respond in a way that is aligned with how you want to be versus just life's happening to me and I'm a victim. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I found, I found uh, meditation very helpful for this. I meditate sure. every day, twice a day at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And when I can just get out of the thinking mind, like you, you know, you went through that program yeah. where the guy's like, Hey, can everybody not think thoughts for just a few seconds? And like, you realize it's impossible. Right. There is no perfectionism in meditation. It's always a practice. Yep. It's like, 
you know, just continue to practice at the thing, which is going inside and yeah. just trying to turn the brain off, you know, for 15 minutes. And, uh, yeah, have, do you, uh, by the way, I have Marcus Aurelius's book here, which is called yeah. meditations. Love it. Um, have you had any experience? In, I know you mentioned prayer a moment ago. Do you also, do you have any experience in meditation? Yes, ab- absolutely. I mean, this stems from, <laughs> this may sound a little bit unusual, but uh, it goes all the way back to when I was a young boy. I was 13 um, and I was in the middle. Uh, every single night I would go to bed. I was in middle school and every single night when I went to bed, I would lay on my back with my palms up uh, and my feet and I would sit there and say, and pray and say, thank you. You know, I'd say, forgive me my sins, Lord, forgive me my sins, Lord. And then I would say, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I would bring kind of the pure white light of God through the crown of my head, mm. down through my, right, into my core, out my arms, out my palms. And I would do that every single, out my feet. And that's how I went to bed every single night from the time I was 13. When I was in the service, there's not a lot of church, churches in Japan. And so I found myself, I got on a train one Sunday and I went to, it was just south of Yokohama, Shoji Temple. And I just wandered there in my broken Japanese and found my way there and uh, asked a monk if somebody could teach me how to meditate. And he introduced me to another monk and I spent the day there and he taught me how to meditate. Um, And then I would go back on Sundays and meditate with the monks at the Shoji Temple um, turns out it's one of the largest Buddhist temples in the world. And uh, so that's where I learned to meditate. And so I do that now every single morning. Uh, I spend time in meditation and prayer. I call it bookending my, my days. And so I do it in the, in the morning and then I do it at night before I go to bed. Fascinating. Yeah. That's way cooler than my meditation story. I just sit <laughs> on my couch in the basement and close my eyes and, you know, listen to uh, one of my apps, sure. my meditation apps. Well, I mean, that's what I do now, but you that was just, my road to get there. You were hanging out, you were meditating with, you know, a, in a Buddhist temple with monks. <laughs> well, you That's know, super I interesting. There. I was over there, you know. That's super interesting. Um, who's your biggest role model or influencer right now in your life? I know you, you mentioned your dad. Um, you mentioned Andy Frisella. Anybody else in your life right now that's, uh, that's really important to you? Yeah, I wouldn't consider Andy Frisella a role model. There's just so many. I, I really enjoy listening to Dr. Benjamin Hardy. No kidding. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. I love him. Yeah, I think he's brilliant. <laughs> um, Tom Morris, I think, is brilliant. Um, I love reading Tom Morris's work, Modern Day Philosopher, and I'm fortunate enough to have him on, you know, involved with my book, and he's heavily endorsed it. So, um, yeah, those, those are two that kind of top of mind if I think of... And, and more than anything, I think also are people that are doing the work. I'm involved with an organization called Fathers and Family Support Center. And I think that, you know, if I had a hero today, um, it would be the men who, and, and women, who have gone through a seriously challenging time who don't know what the, you know, the life that I know. And they've had challenges that are far greater than any challenge I've ever experienced and they're making a powerful new decision. And they're choosing to pave a new path for generations of their families to make a difference in the life of themselves and, and their children. Those, I think those are the heroes, right? Who don't have the opportunity, who haven't known a world like I know, or you know. They haven't had that experience or privilege or opportunity, but they're making it happen. And they're seeking help. They're uh, submitting their egos to receive guidance and support and help and learning. And, and they're just stepping out. Mm. And I think it's just brave and bold and courageous and beautiful. And they're doing it for the love of their family. And that's stunning. I, I love that. I love that those are your heroes. That is, that's incredible. And like, I think we can learn, we can learn a lot from that. Like, you know, your success is somebody else's miracle. So who are those people that you can be a miracle to? And let's all go out and, and find them in our local communities. And yeah. you're right. I mean, like, you know, by nature of comparison, we do live, you know, I, I'm living a pretty privileged life. You know, like I was born and raised in Chesterfield and, you know, um, not everything's been easy, but I, but the people that you speak of, you know, um, I mean, I think of people in my life and some of the nonprofits that we serve and these, these mm-hmm. missions and these causes where I 
you know, it's very difficult for me to place myself in the shoes of somebody else who's had way more trauma and gone through, you know, wakes Mm. up every day and they're just trying to figure out how am I going to survive? Truly, um, you know what I, I, I discovered it was years ago. Um, I came up with this idea of the father project and I've always, like I said, I've always been a passionate father, right? Just love my son to pieces and he'll never know that. Um, if you just look at the post that I wrote on Facebook today, you'll get a sense of my heart for my son. And, uh, why reinvent the wheel? If, if there's an organization that's already doing what I got, I have a heart to do, let's align with them. So one day I walk in the front door, somebody introduced me to Fathers and Family Support Center in St. Louis. And I walk in the door and I was given a tour and uh, we're in the hallway and this tall, big, gruff man, I mean, his voice was deep and he had a suit and he had other men in suits with him. Who are you? Uh, and I literally said, oh, I'm nobody. Uh, I'm Andy. That's what I said. I'm nobody. I'm Andy. Isn't that something? Well, he said, Sherry, bring, bring Mr. Way up to my office in 15 minutes. He and I spent four hours together that day. That was over 15 years ago. Two years ago, he passed away. Mm-hmm. When he passed away, and we would have lunch randomly, a $6 million annual budget. He had been in prison. He had uh, for drug issues. Um, he had a life sentence, uh, gets out on early parole, goes to St. Louis community college, goes to Washington university, one of the most prestigious universities in the country, gets his master's degree, master's degree. And, and three nuns seek him out and they find him to start this program. Wow. And he starts this program, but they have no money. So he starts going out into the street, bringing people in that are, users and abusers on the corners in the very bad neighborhoods and brings them in and starts to mentor these men. And he starts fathers and family support center with these three nuns, right? Amazing. So when he passed away, yeah, when he passed away and he builds it up to what it is today and now Sherry's taken over Sherry Tillis. And, uh, so I've known that team there for a long time and uh, the work they do is absolutely stunning. Um, but I committed two years ago to engage more fully with that program to honor his work um, and to do what I can to impact the life of, lives of others. I walk in one day. Can I continue to share a little Absolutely. bit about this? this? Is, yeah, yeah, this is great. It, it was nuts, man. I, I walk in one day and um, I want to add value however I can. So I commit to spending six weeks in their primary program called Family Formation as you know, as me, uh, who, who's never been in prison, who's grew up very lucky. Um, now I'm not a polo shirt wearing golf looking like guy. If I don't know if people can see me, but, um, uh, but I didn't know how I was going to be received from seven to noon is when I committed. Um, and then the first day they asked me to take over the class for an hour. And I start using this coaching conversation and I ask this question, do you believe that uh, the universe is working for you or against you? And some guys start to answer. And then one of the guys in the class goes, what do you believe? So I believe that the world is working for me. And he looked at me and just shook his head. And the look on his face was, of course you do. Right? Of course you do, white boy. You don't know my you don't know my struggles. That was this look. He didn't need to say a word. Seven weeks later, I was friends with those men. I still check on them, and they can they would say, "No, you're." We had a nickname for the class of one forty six called the Godfathers, and they would say, "No, you're a Godfather." And I showed up every single day and learned about what their life. Some of these guys don't even sleep every night. They don't even sleep every night. Some of them pay $1,000 a month. They work three jobs. They sleep four or five nights a week, not for eight hours like I do, right? And they're paying child support, but they have their kids. And all they've known is their parents were murdered. They never known their father. Their friends were murdered. 
Like, what a crazy experience. I can't identify with that at all. But you know what they did? is made a powerful new decision to fight for the life of their kids and receive guidance and help and support. And they show up or they're kicked out of the program. That, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm excited, excited to, to learn more about, you know, how we can, how we can support that mission. Cool. It's Thanks really for asking. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for bringing it up. Yeah, man. Um, what else? What have we not, what have we not, you know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about the stages that you step on as a speaker. You know, you, you get out there and you no different than, you know, like, um, there's, there's a lot of parallels in our journeys. You know, you are a speaker, you go to a lot of events and you try and share with these audiences. We might be producing those events that you're speaking at, Yeah. you know, but you step on those stages. And I think one of the things we try and coach event organizers on thoughtful ways to leverage gratitude, to make people feel loved on and appreciated and supported. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's something that is meaningful for you as someone who's stepping on a lot of different stages. You know, you step on a stage and then you get on a plane and then you go to a different stage. Is there you know, is there like an event that really stands out to you where the organizers did something really unique and meaningful so that you'll remember them? So like, you know, say three years from now, those same event organizers call you and they're like, hey, Andy, would you come back to our event? You're more likely to pick up the phone and say yes because of what they did for you. Or is that a no? And you're like, no, there's a huge opportunity for people to double down on gratitude and yeah, making me feel appreciated. You know, I think that the best answer for that is that I had never seen my whole family self-employed. I had never seen myself being able to add value or speak or share my story and message uh, with corporations. I always thought that I would, you know, in my avatar as a 35 to 55 year old accomplished parent of a teenager. Right. And so that's who I thought I would be reaching out to one on one predominantly. But then I did a shift to one to many to speak. And I, I'm very nervous about speaking and that there's a story there that I'm happy to share, but, uh, I never wanted to speak. Talk about getting uncomfortable, me speaking, very uncomfortable. And I had to really get over that, but I had been practicing. And so I did. And ultimately I didn't expect that, you know, shortly after the book, uh, I would receive my first corporate client. It just so happened to be a Fortune 500 company. That's huge. It was huge. And I was, I did everything. I shut like everything else down and just made sure I was ready. I wasn't blowing this opportunity. I'm going to show up ready. Um, and I never thought I would have anything like to be able to identify with corporate world people. This wasn't my thought. Um, and so when I did and I, I, I shared my talk, I did for 45 minutes and then I did a 15 minute Q and a, and, um, I got done with that and celebrated the completion of it and, uh, went out to dinner with my wife. And when we came home, there was a note and a bottle of wine. And then the gratitudes kept coming in, um, of just how well it went. The engagement was really high. Like how many, like all of this kind of, kind of praise of how good it was. And I had never, right? Like I thought, <laughs> I'm never going to be able to, right? To go from can't connect was my story that I was telling myself. I was never going to focus on corporations to having my first be a Fortune 500 company and have them repeatedly send me emails and notes about how well it went and the ongoing conversations that their organization was having, their, their the participants were having with the organize, organizers was amazing. So just, you know, th that was one of the coolest experiences for me and transitioning kind of that bridge from one thought to a broader thought of what was possible with this conversation and the need for it. And so that just was huge for me and it lit another spark. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So is that, so the one to many, is that kind of like, is that how you're, you know, reaching people now is getting on stages and yeah. you know, sharing your, sharing your story and hoping to connect with people? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I've done coaching, um, but you know, I, and I had my own coach and, and I still talk to her and, uh, we're now friends. And I just last Friday I was, Hey, uh, I know that you're not my coach right now, but I could really <laughs> use your, your help. I was kind of stuck and, and going through my own, um, just thoughts, uh, around, you know, the work I'm doing and, um, she kind of talked me off that cliff about, you know, kind of what, what to focus on right now. And, um, 
but so I will coach, but one to many is my primary focus right now through speaking. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm positioning to build an entire platform to put all my work on so that people can engage in it that way. That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. What are you focused on now? Speaking in the speak. Yeah. Just all stages and, and speaking and then building that platform. So it's yeah. the, the same thing, but, um, sorry, I should have reiterated cause you, you mentioned, uh, I, w- I was going off of when you had that conversation with her and said, you know, kind of like help me figure out where to go with the work now. And yeah. so I'm just curious, has your, has your focus shifted or like, what is that, that next iteration of your work? I think what's happened is there's been, um, you know, since I released the book, um, that came out December 12th. Um, and, and I've gotten some attention, um, been on, been on interviewed on the news, lots of different podcasts and radio shows and things of that nature. And, and that's great. Um, and so now I know like that social proof is there. The academic proof is there. I've got all this support. Um, so what do you do? Where do you focus your energy? What are you going to do with all this? Is this kind of coming at me as I continue to grow and, and, uh, try to, you know, as I do the work to impact more people and get in front, get this conversation in front of more and more people and broader audiences. And I was just struggling. Where do I focus? You know, how much time? And I was really, there's so many, what platform is the right platform? What kind of this and that? And there's, there's all kinds of these tools out there. And, and I'm a researcher, you know, so I don't just like, oh, that's a tool, I'll get it. You know, I don't just go buy a car. You know, I'm, I'm researching everything about every model, right? And so I was just feeling kind of overwhelmed and stuck in analysis paralysis sure. uh, as I prepared, you know, prepare myself to, take things to another level. So is it, is it that you were just kind of in a place of like figuring out how to brand and market your yourself? And now I have that, you know, yeah. I have all that out there. It's just where do I focus my energy um, with all these tools? It can be allowed, right? I think the world is really coming at us all sure. um, from a million different directions. And I was just kind of overcome with that a little bit with um, where to focus. And, um, and it's really just go get five more clients like the one you just had. <laughs> Yeah. And so it was that simple. And that's what I love about Wendy. <laughs> She's sure. like, no, stop everything. Just do five more of those. Well, where are you? Yeah. Was, okay. So let's talk about that. So yeah. how do you find those five clients? <laughs> well, luckily, um, you know, I have a meeting on Friday. So, so this is, let me back it up a little bit. What I think is amazing, right? So I go from unpacking this relationship to adventure because of this video. And then I've created this methodology born out of it. And now it's anchored in neuroscience is backed by a, a Yale PhD, modern day philosopher, right? Who sub- fully supports my book and this work, right? And I've referenced all kinds of neuroscience in the book. So I've done all this kind of social proof, science, academic proof. I didn't know where this was going to go, right? Always Adventure, which is my name, A-L way, right? Yeah. I had no idea. It's my life and my story and my journey. But I've, I've learned some things that I am passionate about sharing to cause this, you know, to help people overcome their struggle with dealing with overwhelm and um, anxiety, overwhelm, and adjust to change and overcome their challenges so that they can live a happier, more fulfilling life. Well, this, this has continued to unfold. And who knew that my first corporate client would be a Fortune 500 company? Sure. Who could have predicted that? I couldn't have written that out. Right. Like that, that was just amazing. Well, it turns out last Saturday night when we're at a nonprofit fundraising event, I'm in a conversation and that group within the fortune 500 company, it turns out there's 12 more of them. Okay. (laughs) It turns out there's 12 more of those within that one company. And so on Friday, you know, I have a meeting to create a strategic path to go to each and every one of those Right? And then that's just one company. And so I have other companies too that are, uh, you know, that there are leads there and some relationships, you know, bridges being built. So that's my right now, right? Just, just go book more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just asked because I wasn't sure if it was, um, you know, like if you were kind of like using like content like this to, you know, to, to get out there and build a brand or if you're just kind of working those like the warm referrals and that type. I, I always yeah. I'm always curious as to how other people are building their brands and their businesses. So that was why I asked the question. But I appreciate you sharing it's a, that. It's a great question. You know, one of the things that I love is that, you know, there are a lot of talking heads out there. And and I used to look outside of myself 
for help. Um, and, and there's a time and place for some of that, right? It's great to get some inspiration. It's great to have some information. Um, but what do you do with it? And I really struggled with how. Um, we don't need more noise. We don't need more talking heads. It's how do, how do I use my methodology to give people back to themselves? So I don't know that my time, money, and energy is well served by being another talking head uh, that's that's coming at people from all di- all directions. There are people like organizations like Express Scripts, one of the largest companies you never heard of before. You had a friend of mine, Sean, never knew what he did. Makes million dollars in two days. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's be really, really impactful without necessarily being a brand you maybe you've never heard of before. I kind of like, that's kind of my brand. That's my style is uh, quiet, but really, really capable. Um, So I'm passionate about that. And I appreciate that. Flying under the radar. Yeah. Under the radar, but really. And owed to your, your past life too, within your, uh, you know, your naval, your Navy days. Yeah. (laughs) Staying off the radar. I kind of like it. Because if you're not, then Andy's going to, you know, if you're on the radar, Andy's going to send a jet after There's you. plenty of stories like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Specifically doing avionics and radars. Yeah. There, that happened one time on the flight deck with a MiG buzzing our tower because he was off our radar. Actual true story. So what, so tell, <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah. We're, we're out in the, you know, we're out to sea and uh, on the flight deck early morning, getting ready for flight ops. And, um, next thing you know, and and we're in a mock war game with, you know, UN allies. And, um, next thing you know, there's this plane flies by the aircraft carrier, which is the heart of the battle group, mind you, lots of radars on a lot of different ships missed this plane Hmm. flies by and then turns and flies right over the flight deck and and tips where I could literally see his face and he's looking at the bridge. Buzzes the tower. Think of Top Gun, right? Buzzing the tower, but actually on a carrier, not on land. And I can see him. That's how close he is. He's, he's flying lower than the height of the bridge on the carrier. Pretty low. Yeah goes out circles does it two more times finally our alert ready aircraft turns out he was eating breakfast wasn't what where he was supposed to be and then they launch and they dogfight off the starboard side of the bow you see him take off and he chases him away absolutely nuts you know who it was did you ever find a russian mig oh yeah that was a russian mig crazy that is insane it was an, it was absolutely insane. We have a couple more stories like that, but we won't go into it. And there was no con, no, no. There were conflict. repercussions, but none that I was a part of. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was just a wild experience, right, to see a Russian MiG fly over the flight deck in the in the middle of a mock war game. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That's insane. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And we could sit around and. Oh yeah. And, have these conversations all day long oh yeah it's so interesting <laughs> it, yeah. it's just such a foreign world you know i don't have i don't have any military experience so i just don't even have you know i i, I have no idea what goes on in those scenarios it's just interesting to hear about well i think that you know we can all immerse ourselves in a different something whether it's you know the military or the navy you know that people have those stories of a friend of mine who's the oldest man to climb the tallest mountains in the world and the stories he's ha- he has. <laughs> I've got another friend of mine who's lived this amazing life. And his mantra is, I just say yes. And he figures it out. There's something that happens when you get uncomfortable. Is that you, you develop this sense of when you practice getting uncomfortable. You develop this, this kind of a swell of confidence. Because you establish this belief that you'll be okay. Yeah. You can make it, right? You'll be okay. And so if you immerse yourself in something that's maybe a little uncomfortable, it doesn't have to be the military, it can be anything. You start to live these exciting kind of experiences because you went through this challenging thing that kind of tested you a little bit. 
maybe that's trying Indian food. I don't know. Right. But you were like, I can't believe I went to that restaurant in this certain area I'd never been in. And that was super hot. And I was sweating. It doesn't matter the story. Right. But we can all do that. Um, And that's living adventurously to me. Right. Could living adventurously also be, I wrote this down a moment ago, like what, uh, have you heard of the book, Lo- I Love Myself by Kamal, I think it's called I Love Myself or Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. No, but you sounds that? fascinating. But so his whole thing is, you know, we feel shame in loving ourselves. Like we feel that it's shameful or boastful to say, I love myself. And he's like, how do you love on others if you don't love you? 100%. And so every morning in his book, he recommends in his book, every morning you should look at yourself in the mirror, connect with yourself eye to eye, face to face, man to man, woman to woman, mm-hmm. and tell yourself that you love yourself. And I mean, that's uncomfortable. But like, if you can get in, right. uncomfortable doing that, you get uncomfortable in the uncomfortable, you build resilience, you build confidence. Confidence creates competence that you can go out there and do the things you need to do. 100%. When I remember being in, um, in uh, Costa Rica, for a mindset conference. And um, it was a full moon. We're outside. There's a small group of us. Um, and we were laying on our backs. And it's like a, a kind of like a bedroll. I just took my comforter from the my hotel room and r- kind of folded it in half and had my pillow. And that's what I was kind of, it was, do, we were doing breath work and meditation. And, and I had never heard of any of that. All, I had never met any of these people in person. Right, this was the first in person during the whole COVID era. Right, that wasn't that long ago, and I'm sitting out there, and part of the exercise was give yourself a hug. Mm. And I remember, uh, in in thinking about that, you're a good person. I remember laying there and hugging myself, and I forgot the the guided meditation you know, words he was using, but it was that it was the first time I allowed myself to love me. I was in my, you know, this is not that long ago. I was 47, 46. And I'm, and I'm hugging myself in tears and accepting myself for who I was, all I am and all I'm not at a cellular level for the first time in my life where I really felt that I was okay. I was a good human. And I was in my 40s, mid 40s. And I was in tears when you're out in the world, I notice now that how people treat others is how they feel about themselves. That's so true. Can you say that again? How people treat others is 100% how they feel about themselves. That's so good. Right? If they don't, if they don't, if they're not kind, then you should actually feel sorry for them because they're really mean to themselves. Right? And that's really sad. I pay attention on a regular basis, the conversation I'm having with myself. And, and that's really critical to how I show up in the world, leading with my being, right? Who am I being? That's all gonna stem from how I feel about me. If I know that I have a good heart and I'm a good person, then people are gonna feel that. And that's how I'm gonna show up in the world. If you're a jerk, and you think you're a jerk, if you're being a jerk, then you feel like, right, like you, have a, you have a bad relationship with yourself. That's not good. If you can't love, right, you hate, man, that's, how powerfully you show up outward is how powerfully you're showing up inward. And that's, it's, it's a really sad state of affairs in a lot of cases. Hmm. Um, <laughs> anything else, things that we have not talked about that, uh, that, that you want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, mercy, right? Like some, some, um, practicing some, I mean, obviously the methodology with the practice of allowing, and I think that's critical to all change, right? The practice of allowing is catalyst for all change. Gratitude, the outcome is positivity, getting uncomfortable, right? Trust, a deeper level of trust in yourself. And you can't trust others until you trust yourself. Exploring the unknown is insight. That's the fourth practice. You can count on those insights and they're not random insights. The insights you receive are going to be aligned with what you're, the work you're doing in the world and seeking excitement. Be nice, have fun, go play, 
right? It, you can expect something exciting to happen when you're you know, seeking excitement and doing the other practices, but it's important to go be intentional about doing something fun. Who couldn't use a little more fun and joy in their life? So I, I think that those are the five practices and the five outcomes. And, you know, it's important to just be kind to yourself and to, to others. Super grateful for you, Andy. Thank awesome you so here. much. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, The Impact Roadmap. It's all about highlighting entrepreneurs that are making an impact, and you certainly are in the work that you're doing. It's like the world needs that right now. So thank you for doing the work that you are doing, and glad that we have you know a platform here that, that we can share your message out and get this into the hands and into the hearts and into the minds of more people um, so that you can continue to influence the world. And like what we like to say here at Utopia is help those that help the world. And uh, we want to we wanna help you get your message out to more people so that you can continue helping the world. So thank you for doing all the stuff you're doing, my friend. Glad to be a part of your journey and just grateful to know you. Thanks so much for being here. feel the same way. Thanks a lot. Hey, if this episode was valuable to you, then uh, share it with someone that you love, someone that you know that could benefit from it. Also, be sure to subscribe. And depending on how you're listening, go ahead and leave a comment or review. This will help ensure that we are connecting with other nonprofit leaders so that we can get this critical information out to them. And if your company is in the early or even late stages of putting on an event, go to our website, utopiaexperience.com and click the book us tab and schedule a free discovery call to see if our services would be a right fit for your event. And even if they're not, that's okay. I promise you our expertise can steer you in the right direction so you'll get value either way. Thanks for listening to the Impact Roadmap and we'll see you next time.